Alright, so ladies and gentlemen, we're back again here today with Terry and Travis, and today we're going to talk about eight mistakes that we see people making in our mastermind. So we just launched the Mastermind E-Commerce Mafia, and we hosted three groups of calls with the fourth one coming for a 25K group. And today, Travis and I are just going to talk about kind of eight mistakes we've seen people uh, make throughout the calls, and hopefully that you can avoid them too. So before we start, uh, Travis, what's going on, man? Well, one of my big updates is I had an unpaid intern who actually found us through our Facebook, and she just quit. So that means that I need to start thinking about how we're going to be doing social media. She was taking care of all our Facebook, all our Twitter and stuff like that. She quit in kind of an unprofessional way. She just randomly emailed me and she's like, I quit. I'm done. I'm like, okay. A day before she quit, she messaged me. She's like, oh, I don't like what I'm doing. I'll kind of want to do something else. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe we could do this or she said this before, like a month before, and I'm like, all right, well, what would you like to do? And I was constantly trying to work with her because she is unpaid. It's basically, in my book, free labor. It's something good on her resume. But after about three or four months working with us, our company, she just quit in such a, such a way that it kind of surprised me. She could have said, hey, I'm putting in my two weeks and been able to use this as a reference. But now, if she tries to use this as a reference, I don't know. I think I'm pretty sure I'd tell the company, like, look it. She was pretty unprofessional about the way she quit. And anyways, that means that I got to start considering how I'm going to do social media. Do you need to give two weeks even if you're working for free? I have no idea. I don't think so. Well, <laughs> the whole time she was, she was a little quirky and I was able to, you know, I was willing to put up with it because I'm like, oh, I'm not paying her. But it's just, I think it's a, it's a courtesy thing. They don't need to, but it's just, it was very... Very weird. It's it's not the something that you leaves you with a good taste in your mouth about it. So my thought is that free labor just usually isn't worth it. At least from people I talk to, that because their incentives aren't aligned correctly, right? Like they're not getting paid. So why do they have incentive to work hard? Unless it's like a nonprofit, right? Then it's something different. But. I did a decent amount of unpaid internships in college. And in college, it's because, oh, you need something on your resume. And that's why I'm like, look, just post for our Facebook, our Twitter, and I think it was just mostly the two of them. I'm like, I don't care. You can put whatever you want on your resume. You can say that you, you know, were in charge of the sales department. I figured it's something really easy that a girl in college would love to do and no big deal. Like it's, it'll take her probably like an hour or two. She told me she'd be working like 20 hours a week. And I'm like, no, you won't. And so today uh, we're going to talk about eight mistakes that we see people make in our mastermind. So Travis, I'm going to have you go first. Uh, one is uh, not using shopping carts. What's this about? Yeah, I saw a couple different people that were using either WordPress or just uh, some kind of old system. Personally, if you're going to get serious about it, you need to use a shopping cart. And I know for a lot of people, the barrier to entry is, oh, I don't want to spend money, but it's really cheap. I mean, I think this plan starting at like $15 or less, and it just makes everything easier. It's a, it's a better system, just intuitively easier for the buyer. It seems like to find their products too. Every part of it seems to be better if you're using a shopping cart system. So for me, I would go a little devil's advocate if you know what you're doing. So someone on my call was like a security expert and he basically knew exactly what he needed on his website. So he his day job is like basically breaking into people's security systems. So he kind of knew the vulnerabilities of each cart and he kind of wanted that protection on his own business too. So I guess in that case, you know, if you know what you're doing, WooCommerce is fine, but if you're just trying to save 20 bucks a month, it's usually not worth it because what happens is some people I know here that either do drop shipping stores, their own products, uh, sometimes WordPress will update and then the whole site breaks because your theme's outdated. 
your plugins are conflicting, things like that. And unless you have development skills to actually figure that out, you, it's all on you to like fix the cart and make sure everything's working too. Whereas something like a big commerce, Shopify, Evolution, like they kind of handle that for you. Although, you know, so sometimes they'll be down, but very, very rarely do I ever hear that they're down. It's more usually like you can't get through to customer support, something like that too. So I think the 20 bucks a month, whatever 50, whatever plan you're on, certainly worth it over the long run to save you the time and the headaches too from having to do everything yourself. Well, I thought like WordPress is probably a little bit more vulnerable than like a, a Shopify or a Volusion from what I've heard. And like, yeah, you're right. If you know what you're doing, absolutely do your own thing. I'd like eventually to, to migrate my system off a of shopping cart because then I can have full, full control, but that's probably not going to be till we're doing, you know, a million plus in revenue a year. I guess if your store is really content driven, like you need the WordPress CMS backend, it would make sense because WordPress does have better blogging and all that stuff in terms of like content management than say like a Shopify or big commerce. But then either, even then you can just do like a subdomain for the store. There's like workarounds to that too. So number two for me would be funnel visualization and heat maps. So I think we did an episode earlier about analytics and using funnel visualization, whereas like you want to see where people drop off on your site, either on a category page, product page, checkout page, thank you page, wherever, right? And I think uh, some people were missing this setup because from there, when you make marketing decisions, you can't figure out where you need to optimize in terms of your on-site stuff, right? So maybe you're changing the product page or next thing more people are dropping out of the category page and things like that. And so analytics does tell you where people go, but they don't tell you what they do on the site. So that's where heat map comes in too. I think we talked about using Crazy Egg. It's only $9 a month, but you had to prepay a year. And then basically when you know where people are going and you know what they're clicking on the high traffic pages, I think it's a much better way to kind of start making design changes rather than you know throwing darts at the wall and hoping it looks good. Yeah, and with that, I think that that'll give you information on what your conversion rates are. And I asked a couple different people, oh, you know, what's your conversion rate? And they weren't really sure. Well, that makes it hard to make changes and know if those changes were actually helping you or hurting you. Yeah, because if you could change the click-through rate by like say 20% on one page that leads to a conversion, you can immediately track the ROI of that essentially. Yeah, I think knowing your conversion rate is extremely important too because if it's super low, you know you need to change something and if it's pretty high, maybe you're doing something good you don't need to make too many changes. I think getting used to finding this data is hard at first. Like it's really easy to just be like, oh, I have this percentage, but to actually know all your numbers, like even I don't know all my numbers, like I think it's just kind of overwhelming for some people that like, oh, I got to figure out all this math stuff when it, it's kind of straightforward but it just i think there's a learning curve that people just need to get through i think essentially yeah all right cool so uh number three buy buttons are hard to find what's up with this one if you're on a product page for your website and you can't immediately find the buy button it's not obvious that's bad i mean you want a user to come on and immediately say okay if i want this i can click here buy check out done and i had a couple different people that you know as i'm on their product page i'm like is this a product page or is this just like a content page? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, here down at the bottom, there's a buy button. That's, and you know, a lot of times it'd be either small or the same color as the rest of the page. For instance, it doesn't always need to be, like the color doesn't always need to be different. Like I picked on my website a color that matches our theme, but the location of the button is located so that everything surrounding it's white, but the buy button itself is pink. Even though most of our page is pink, it's in an area where it still pops. So you want your buy button to pop. Whatever color it needs to be for it to pop, 
That's what it should be. And whatever size it needs to be, when someone comes on the page, they're immediately able to see, hey, if I want to buy this, I click here and it's done. There's no searching. Because as soon as you make someone search, they might change their mind. And that, you know, five seconds it takes them to find it. Yeah, I think the psychology behind putting it below is that, oh, I don't want to spam people with add to cart. But then the downside is that they don't know if it's add to cart product page or just a content page, like you said, right? So you're better off telling them, hey, this is a product page. Once they scroll down, they can come back up and then add the cart, right? So at least you get it out of the way immediately. So you don't like beat around the bush or something like that. So uh, number four, product photography and lifestyle photography. So this is one thing I realized that's, that was kind of missing in some of the more fashion niches, like sunglasses or kind of like party stuff, because I think these things, you want people to have an image of what it's like to use your product, right? Say sunglasses, you want someone to look cool, or like awesome in a suit with it, or like on a beach hanging out, right? Like it's aspirational stuff that gets into people's mind. I think when you just do strictly product pictures, like say, you know, like a computer mouse sitting on a table with like nothing else, it's kind of boring, right? Or like glasses that are just on a white background. I think you need to have someone with a picture on it, looking at something, or they're hanging out at a beach, at a bar, or something like that, to give you an idea of, hey, this is the lifestyle that it supports and all of that jazz. I actually had a friend who, how he got started was selling through Amazon and he sell, sold these like little handheld fans and everyone had the same pretty much pictures. Like it's a fan on a table with like a white background. But what he did is he actually got like a model to hold the fan, you know? So all it is is just some beautiful girl holding a fan and his products got to the top of Amazon because they were just selling so much more. So something like that where it's like, Oh, what is it? It's not even necessarily related. It's just a picture of, a beautiful girl holding a fan, people still like to see stuff like that. They like to not only see the product, but see how it can be used. How crazy would that be if you just went on Amazon and just started going through niches and just updating photography and just like crushing it? Yeah, that's exactly what my, my buddy was doing. I mean, now he's doing uh, just model photography. So I think he picked the better lifestyle, but if it would work on Amazon, it would definitely work within your own site. Yeah, well, I think especially if you're building your own brand, this is the tricky part. It took me a while to figure out. like. Like, yeah, you want to say you have a cool product, but you got to show it too. Like people using it, people holding it in a cafe, things like that. Like I noticed some guys do it really well on Instagram. Like this was like the yoga pants crowd. Um, there's this guy that's in our mastermind, I think Bohemian Island. Like all his Instagram is just people posing in yoga with his pants. And then he does like, he does like 10K a month off this, just off Instagram posts like this. And I think he spams the hell out of the hashtags too. Uh, and he, I think he's, he's going to make a post in the forums about how to use Instagram too. So it'll be kind of cool. Yeah. All right. So um, I guess that's it for photography. Um, number five, above the fold, need to scroll. What's up with this one? Yeah. So I noticed a lot of people, their content, like are the, the, on their product pages, the landing pages for their product pages, you need to scroll to be able to get in a sense of what the product is. You need to scroll to get to the buy button. And that's a no-no. Like you don't want people to need to scroll. Like sure, have more information below the fold, such as descriptions, like advanced, more advanced descriptions. But you want people to be able to, as soon as they load their page up, everything they see on their screen is what they need to know to make a decision whether or not they want to buy your product. There's a lot of different ways to do this. Sometimes you need to make your images slightly, your product images slightly smaller. Sometimes I've noticed that people have extra space on the top, like the header of their website. And there's a couple other little different things. Like I spent a lot of time trying to delete any kind of unnecessary space so I could get my product image, the color options and the buy button, the price, everything 
on that first initial load up. You don't want people to have to work to try to buy your products. You want it to be just like an instant decision that they can make. Yeah, I'm gonna play devil's advocate though. You ever see the Apple sales pages? They're like super, super long. Well, Apple can do whatever they want. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, but I think it comes down to also like if your product needs a lot of buy-in, if it's like expensive, like you can't just have a simple, like if you're selling like a thousand dollar art, you can't just have like a 200 word description, right? I think most products, and there is also the devil's advocate of uh, like the long form sales letters. I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule, but generally the more work you make your your people do, the harder, the less likely they are, they are to buy. Like in the end, it depends on your product. If it's like a lifestyle product or a kind of commodity, right? Or kind of like a industrial thing, how much you need to know too. So I guess there's no hard, I guess always test, right? We're just two guys with the podcast. <laughs> All right, cool. Number six, uh, content strategy and an outreach. So one thing I realized was that uh, people have stores, but they didn't really have a strong content strategy in place. So I think they know they need to do this, but figuring out the actual nuts and bolts of a good content strategy is something people haven't really figured out yet. So either we talked about you a little bit, actually. There was a girl that sells um, dodgeball clothes to teams. And we were talking about how you were approaching dance studios and kind of figuring out, you know, how to acquire them from team orders too, right? Because I think the cost of acquisition for you is relatively straightforward since you know who your market is, you know who the influencers are, and kind of it's just a matter of identifying them rather than some broad thing like, I don't know, wine glasses, right? For me, and I think a lot of people have this, they don't even, they might not even realize it, but for me, once again, it's about finding those people that make the biggest that want to buy the most, that are the people that have the most influence in the community. I mean, exactly like you said, with the dodgeball teams, you know, she could go to the dodge, the different dodgeball like teams and say, hey, we want to talk about you on our blog. It might not work quite as well because they probably don't care as much as like a dance team because it's not really a business. But at the same time, it's no matter what, they're going to get an email that says, hey, we want to talk about you. Here's a link to our website. They're going to go there, and if they like what they see, they'll buy. Yeah, one of the things, too, is I, I said, it's not interview, we want to feature you, right? You want to give, you want to put the spotlight on them. It's not on what you're doing. It's what can you offer them, too, which is kind of every like classical business advice, right? It's not about you, it's about... A newspaper could call me for about almost any reason and say, I want to put you in an, an article. And I'd say, oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. People love to be talked about. They love to hear that they're special. Yeah, exactly. And I think the big picture is that like strategically making your content aligned with acquisition, too, I guess. Yeah. Is what I'm looking at. And it doesn't need to just be, it seems like we talk a lot about like my strategy of interviewing different dance teams and stuff like that, but we are working on articles, like the, the keyword based articles that, that could be a whole nother podcast in itself. And like YouTube stuff, uh, you know, how to, so actually I talked to a guy, Brandon Nolte uh, at DC Bangkok last week about his content strategy. So the way he does it, he is, he makes a list of keywords first and then he would separate those into either stuff you create content with or stuff you put into the on-site description. So basically, say dance shorts, you would have a how to make dance shorts, uh, blue dance shorts, or like, you basically you would have two categories of keywords from this master list that you can then separate into either on-site stuff or use to create content. And then when he did the content side, he would uh, make like an image, custom image, just for that, uh, maybe a brief video. You could do like a video, audio, image, and like syndicate this whole thing uh, as like a kind of huge behemoth and so basically he was able to get i think in 10 months like 600 visitors a day to his site pretty much so through this organic strategy 
where he was basically doing how-to stuff, but he had like audio, video, and like an infographic all made for this too. So kind of interesting way to do things. Yeah, actually we're working on some YouTube videos that should be released in the next week or two. And it's basically how to make your own dance costume. And the kicker is using our dance clothing uh, as a base for it. So it's like how to, instead of spending, you know, $200 on a costume, buy these things from us and just add like some sparkles and decoration and you'll have a custom made look. You can be, you can say, basically make videos on how to use your product. So I don't know, you could, how to be a badass with baller wallets or I don't know, something like that. How to be a badass at a nightclub or how to yeah. be a badass at work or something like that, like, like life, lifestyle topics. Yeah, like that'd be a cool, I'd watch that. I mean, you could probably even make them funny and, and it's like, you know, whatever, you show some guy. You could even take like a comedy angle, make it like really satirical and like make it cheesy. So like an entertainment thing, right? I went to a YouTube workshop too and I posted the notes in the forums. Basically he was saying, you know, people are looking to either get informed or entertained on YouTube or just in general on content, right? So you either make something, you know, funny, angry, sad, or whatever, or you just teach them like how to. And usually those are what people are getting the most hits on YouTube and all that stuff too. Yeah, you know, have you ever read crack.com? They do both, which I love, because they have really informative articles, but they're, they're worded hilarious. It's, they'll do like, you know, top five, I don't know, craziest diseases in the world. But like, as you're reading it, you're cracking up the entire time. But at the same time, it's like, oh, I just learned something. So I don't feel like I just wasted the last 20 minutes. Yeah. On the other end, you have like BuzzFeed, which is just a bunch of crap, right? It's like, oh, 20 ways to yeah. know you're in your 20s. And you're just like, oh, it's so clickbaity. And but it works, right? Yeah. So one of my friends, Mark Manson, was saying at DC Bangkok, too, that you can have a link-baity title. But as long as you still provide value, you'll, people will forgive you for that. 20 things I learned in my 30s or something like that, right? Like that. That's those clickbaity, but if you actually provide good value, oh yeah, it's actually kind of cool. So number seven, um, friction in the user experience, hard to find your products. Yeah, so what I mean by this is that people that land on any page of your website should easily be able to get to your product page, easily be able to buy and easily be able to find exactly what they're looking for. And on different websites, this could mean different things. This could mean you know, a very prominent search bar. This could mean like a menu where it's very easy to get to any product. And I saw a couple different problems people had. And I think most of the people realized that this was a problem. They weren't sure in their head how to fix it. But think about how many clicks does it take from any one page to get to any of the product pages and the different paths that it could take. You want to make it, if possible, from any one page of your site, you get to another one of your product pages in one click if possible. But not just that, people that come into your site, if let's say, for instance, for you, they, they want a certain type of wallet, make it as easy for them to find that type of wallet as possible, whatever that means. Yeah, I only have four clicks to the checkout page. I think the, the bigger key is to like, how well can you develop your sense of empathy in the sense that you can put yourself in the user experience shoes and actually think about, like it's not about your site, it's about how the user actually goes through the funnel. And like, how well can you relate to them as they're doing that too? So I think this strategically boils down to like, A, your spacing, you know, how much clutter is on your site, the design, like the grid, the ratios, things like that. Like that goes into all that technical stuff with the designer too. But I think in the end, if you can just put yourself in the customer's shoes, that's the best thing more than anything else. Yeah, And ask people, ask people that don't know anything about your website, never seen it before. What I actually did was, you know, ask some family members who hadn't seen the website yet. All right. So you want to buy this product, how do you do it? 
And I'd give them, you know, the laptop or whatever and say, all right, go ahead and find it. And you watch them kind of struggle and you see, oh, okay, well, there was a problem here or, or there was a problem over there or just watch them generally how much time it takes. Yeah. So last one, uh, getting your priorities wrong. So this one we talked about was uh, kind of came from your intern where I guess people are spending too much time on the wrong things. So for example, like social media, you don't need to spend five hours on Facebook unless you're like Coca-Cola or something or answering customer emails. Yeah. And you know what? A lot of the advice and Gary Vanderchuk has a lot of advice on this. Well, when he got his business, the wine business, they were already doing 3 million a year and he grew it to 60 million. That's like his claim to fame. So he is really big on social media because he kind of started with something. But also like I look at my site, the Facebook site, we have about 2000 likes. Each time I make a post, it can go maximum to 2000 people. It'll never reach that, but that's the max. Now contrast that with a bigger company who maybe has 100,000 likes on Facebook. Each post they do has the potential to go to 100,000 people. Well, yeah, they should spend a little bit more time than I should. It's, and it's the same thing with anything. With email marketing, if you have 30 people on your email list, you know what, maybe you don't need to send out an email once a week that you spend a couple hours trying to craft, maybe once a month and you know, is, that, is enough. So I think really realizing where your priorities are and a lot of these people, I would recommend maybe trying to get more organic traffic, you know, build the SEO up a little bit. I'm a big fan of uh, pay-per-click or even trying to get your conversion rates better. Those are all things that could be worked on before you spend time doing Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, I think it comes down to knowing your opportunity cost too and how much each channel's revenue it brings in. Because if you don't know this, it's easy to just get pulled in all different directions, right? Whereas if you know that, A, you run a guest post here, you always make you know 500 bucks in sales. You would just do that all day, right? Unless you have a channel that gives you more money than 500 bucks. And I think when you don't know these different acquisition channels, it's kind of just like a shot in the dark, I think. Also, I think really important to keep in mind that you should do what you want to do. And I remember talking to some of the people in the groups that they didn't want to do social media. They're not interested in that. They'd rather do more kind of old school methods. And I really think that if you just hate doing something, you don't necessarily need to do it right off the bat unless it's, uh, but know what your skills are, I guess is a better way to put it. Know what you're good at. If I, like, for instance, for me, I'm pretty bad at Pinterest. I don't, I don't know, necessarily know what's good. So I've spent my time focusing on paid ads and stuff that I can mathematically figure out and I'll hire someone else to do the Pinterest stuff. Yeah, like we have a friend here who is crushing it. He's like an awesome salesperson, but he's terrible at running the business finance and everything like that. So I think it's like knowing what you're good at and being humble enough to like let it go and let someone else do it. So if you don't like doing social media, you probably find someone to do it or use like a scheduling tool so it gets automated, things like that. I don't think it's the right solution, but it's a matter of being honest with yourself and doing what you like doing. And because the last thing you want to do is just build yourself a job that you hate, right? Because why are we doing this if we're doing what we're doing like before we started this business. All that being said, I mean, that's that's what you need to factor into figuring out what your priorities are. But obviously at the same time, if you know you have a crappy website that it's hard for people to buy from. It doesn't matter how much time you spend. Let's say you really like Facebook marketing and you're really good at it. You could easily double, triple your percentages if maybe you worked on your website a little bit. So know, know where your, your time is going to be the best spent. Yeah, and it comes down to having your analytics set up right and knowing what the numbers are. Because right? if you just don't even know your conversion rate or only have a general idea, well, you're not really going to be guided by the right data and all that stuff too. So this comes from like analytics, heat maps, 
things like that, funnel goals, channels, all of that stuff. Yeah, and as I was kind of saying at the beginning of the show, I had the V or um, what was it, an intern basically doing like five posts a day on Facebook and Twitter and just really working on that. Like that was her full-time thing. And I didn't really see any conversions from it and not that much traffic from it either. So now that she's gone, how much time am I going to want to spend doing Facebook stuff? Probably not a lot because it didn't seem like it really paid off as much as I would have liked it to. I'm still going to use it, but I'm going to utilize it in different ways. Yeah. You learn as you go. Right. And this is what I've heard too. Like people that outsource social media, they don't really see great results, I guess, because I think people can tell when it's like management posting or like the actual owner or somehow, like I think people's bullshit meters are pretty high. So I, don't, I don't really know how effective that is to outsource it. All right, cool. So I guess that wraps up this episode, kind of a quick one. Uh, eight mistakes we see people making in our masterminds. One, not using uh, shopping carts. Two, buy buttons that are hard to find. Three, scrolling above the fold, below the fold. Uh, four, making your products hard to find, uh, friction in the user experience. Five, uh, funnel visualization and heat maps. Six, product photography, lifestyle photography. Seven, content strategy and outreach. And eight, getting your priorities wrong. So I guess that's it for this week. Uh, if you guys have any questions, shoot us an email. Uh, I'm Terry at BillMyOnlineStore.com and you are Travis at BillMyOnlineStore.com. And uh, I guess we'll see you guys next week. See you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. And if you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.